Thank you for the good music this morning. Take your Bibles and go to the book of Mark, chapter number 11, and we'll finish the 11th chapter of Mark this morning in our journey to the cross as we continue with uh, this series of the journey to the cross. We find the Lord on this journey, heading to the cross, doing so deliberately, and there is no uh, hint of him holding back. He's walking into this purpose. And uh, we need to be reminded that as he says later on, no man taketh my life, I lay it down. Uh, he was not a martyr. He was a substitutional sacrifice on our behalf. And he is walking to the cross to lay his life down for us. And we come to Mark 11 this morning and we begin with verse number 27. If you found your place there, let's stand together in honor of the Word of God. And we'll begin reading in verse number 27, and we'll read down through the end of the chapter. And they come again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, there came to him the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, and say unto him, By what authority doest thou these things? Who gave thee this authority to do these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, I will ask you, I will also ask of you one question, and answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we shall say of men, they feared the people, for all men counted John, that he was a prophet indeed. He answered and said unto Jesus, We cannot tell. And Jesus answering and said unto them, Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. And let's pray together this morning. Father, we ask you to add your blessing to the reading of the Word of God, to the time of music together this morning as we've lifted our voice in praise. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would do a work that I cannot do. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of the people in front of me this morning. Holy Spirit of God, help us to see you for who you are ourselves for who we are, and Lord, may we respond in obedience to that reality. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you would do a work in me and through me today. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. You can be seated there. We have witnessed over the last few weeks the triumphant entry of Christ into Jerusalem, and he comes in riding on the foal of a donkey, declaring himself to be the Messiah, the King, uh, that has come in peace to declare peace and victory. We see him then coming and cleansing the temple and cursing the fig tree and then powerful teaching that surrounded this and the instruction he had for them. We see him walking now on the morning after uh, he had cleansed the temple. He comes back into the city and on his way back in the city, the disciples notice the fig tree that's withered from the ground up and is completely destroyed and we see that image taking place and then Jesus, as was very common for rabbis to do, would teach them as he walked and he would talk with them on the road and here he is walking into the city now and communicating with them about prayer and learning to have faith in God. And this is all the narrative that we see and then him returning now to the city in verse number 27 and they come again to Jerusalem and as he was walking in the temple. So here he is coming into the Jerusalem. Now remind you, they have begun to plot how to kill him. And this is not dissuading him from coming into the temple. He is not ignorant of their plots. 
He knows what they're doing. He knows what is in the heart of men. He knew the whole purpose of their connivings against him. And yet he doesn't walk privately among them. As a matter of fact, these men uh, later on, Jesus will say to them when he's in Gethsemane, hey, did I not did you not teach you openly? Didn't you have many opportunities to arrest me in the open? And yet you've waited till I was in this secluded area to arrest me. And all of this is because they feared the people and they did not fear the right things. And so Jesus walking only, uh, openly, unafraid of them. And then we have three delegates come, three sects of people that come to him. The Bible tells us that the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes, all three come. Christ's actions uh, leading up to this point of what have brought them to this question, and they're coming with not wanting to know the answer to the question. How many of you ever somebody's asked you a question and you knew they didn't really want to know the answer? They wanted you, you know, hey, how did you like my casserole? They don't really want to know the answer to that question, all right? They just want you to be nice, all right? Um, and so there are questions that people ask they don't really want to know the answer to. Um, and here they're coming, and they're asking this question, but they're not really seeking to understand. They're trying to entrap him. They're trying to find him and trip him up, and so they can take advantage of him. Christ's actions had led to the question, and the chief priests were put out because here he comes in cleansing the temple. But if the temple needed to be cleansed, we would have taken care of that. Why, why, why are you coming in and assuming authority to cleanse the temple? And, and, and I think we rightly say, yeah, you should have been the one to take care of that. And yet you didn't take care of that. And Jesus comes in and addresses it. The elders would have been the political leaders or the influential leaders of the area. And they said, and now you're coming in and posing yourself as a king. And here you are saying you're the Messiah. What business do you have claiming this authority? And the scribes, as they're teaching... The Bible tells us over and over again of how the people marveled at the teaching of Jesus. Early on in the book of Mark, we read, and he taught as one who had authority and not as the scribes. He didn't teach as the scribes did, but he taught with someone who had authority and command, and there was something more behind what he was saying than just the traditions of men. And so Jesus comes to this point. It had been good if they could have read Proverbs 21 and 30 and meditated on it. If these men had come and read that, there is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. Any counsel brought against him will fail. You know, and I think really the question here is the question of authority, but it's the question of surrender. Because whoever is in authority would demand our surrender and our submission. And these men did not want to surrender. They didn't want full surrender. And by the way, Jesus is not asking for part of us this morning. He's asking for a full surrender of his people to him. He's not wanting just a contribution. He's wanting complete sacrifice of his people. I read the story of the, the chicken and the pig. And the chicken and the pig are walking down the road together. What are you laughing? You don't even know the punchline yet. Jeremiah. Hey, but apparently it's going to be good. Um, so we're walking down the road, and the chicken and pig are walking together, and they see a sign, and it says up on the window, uh, eggs and bacon needed. And the chicken looked at the pig, and he said, let's help them out. He said, we'll give them some bacon and eggs. And the pig looked at the chicken, and he said, well, for you, that's a contribution. For me, that's a complete sacrifice. And I think we're okay with going to Jesus with a contribution, but we're not interested in being a complete sacrifice. And here, the question of authority would have demanded that. 
Uh, when we don't submit, we don't believe that he can help us. We don't believe he's, when we refuse to submit to his authority, I think it, it's an evidence that we don't really believe that he's in control. We believe somebody else is in control, that somebody else may have a handle on it. Years ago, my, my dad pastored in Atlanta. We pastored in Hapeville, Georgia, not Hapeville, but H-A-P-E, okay? And, uh, but it's just, just where the Atlanta airport is. If you've ever flown into the Atlanta airport, you've been right there in our neck of the woods in that little, uh, little bitty town right outside of Atlanta and uh, on the city limits, and that's where my dad pastored. And, and we would minister to a lot of different people, and uh, we would, we would uh, just, just never knew who was coming home for dinner or who would be, be, be working with in a week's time. And uh, one evening we were driving, I don't even remember where we were driving from, but we were driving in our, our van, we were heading home. And uh, my dad sees this gentleman walking down the interstate. And he's walking along the side of the interstate, and he's weaving and kind of staggering along. And it became very obvious from looking at this man that he was drunk, and he had had uh, far too many. And here he is just staggering down the road. And dad pulls the car over to the side of the road of the van, and he pulls the van off. He says, I'm going to go back and help him before he gets himself killed. And so he runs back to where the guy was. Would you imagine if you're driving down the highway, you pass the guy up, you're a quarter mile down the road, and he has to run back to this guy. And he gets all the way back to where the guy's at, and the guy's just kind of staggering down the side of the road. And my dad looks at him and says, hey, man, come here. Get out of the road. Let me help you. And the guy stops and looks at him. He goes, how are you going to help me? You're walking too. And, you know, and it's just not understanding that there was somebody that had the ability to help him. And I, and I think we look at the Lord and say, Lord, I, I would trust you if I thought you could do something, but I don't really believe you can. And these men, they didn't want to trust him. They didn't want to surrender their own authority. They want to surrender their own control. They didn't want to submit to who he was, and so they began to question his authority. I think we could all agree that we live in a world that questions authority, always questioning it, often resisting it. All you have to do to raise the eyebrow of some is to say that you ought to do something. And you'll get a call of, that's too authoritarian. It was said that in one generation, you cannot tell me what to do. You're not going to tell me what to do. I'm my own man. I can do my own things. And now we live in another generation now that says you can't tell me who I am or what I am. I'll be whatever I decide to be. And it's a grieving thing that God doesn't place authority to condemn. He places authority to protect and to guide. And the Lord's authority in our lives is not to condemn and is not to press down. And by the way, this is not a North American problem. It's not just this generation's problem either. I think we're very easy to just blame it on the generation. And if you pardon me, those of a generation past would very quickly blame all the problems on this generation. But may I remind you, you're the one that produced this generation. Um, and I, I challenge us to consider where we're going is not just a cultural problem, it's a sin problem. And the solution is the Lord Jesus Christ. It always has been. So we enter this third day of the Passion Week, the last day of public ministry, that he is going to be changing his modus operandi as he goes forward. They come to him questioning by what authority do you do these things? What they're actually asking him is who ordained you to do this? Who, who, who laid hands on you and made you a rabbi? Who gave you authority to stand and teach others? 
And the ordination process among the rabbis was an extra-biblical process and a very detailed process. In some extreme cases, they held that you had to go to Jerusalem to be ordained, and then you could travel the world and be a rabbi in other places. But unless you were ordained in Jerusalem, you weren't really a rabbi. And they would have very strict rules. I think it's interesting that they're asking about his ordination, about his authority. And as they ask about his ordination and his authority, Jesus then turns and asks them, Hey, do you remember John's baptism? What do you think about John's baptism? Because if we wanted to look to where his ordination day was, I think we'd have to look to John's baptism. When John baptized him in the River Jordan, and he coming up out of the water, the Spirit descends on him like a dove, and we hear the Father's voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so here they're questioning him, and the only authority they ascribe to the Lord to this point is they look at him and says, uh, you're doing what you do and the power of the devil. Beelzebub is where you get your authority. And they put him on the spot again. Now why were they so mad? Why were they so angry with him? Well, I think he had rebuked what they had endorsed. They were allowing the selling, they were allowing the buying, they were allowing the money changing, they were allowing all of this to go on, and Jesus comes in and he rebukes what they adore, endorsed, the selling in the temple. He threatened their credibility. He hindered their unjust gain. He curbed their appetites. He, he came in and grabbed a hold of what they were indulging in and says no. And I tell you what, if you really want to get somebody's ire up, mess with their pocketbook. Jesus hurt their income. And it stirred them to anger. I think also he received praise that they wanted. They wanted the praise of men desperately. And they did what they could to get it. They would dress in fine robes and they would pray grand prayers and they would stand in public places. And yet Jesus, the carpenter, comes in and humble dress and stands and says, Hey, when you pray, don't do so in a public manner, but go into your closet and pray. For if you pray publicly and you do so for the praise of men, you have your reward. And if, and if you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. For when you do so publicly and you make a display for men's praise, you have your reward. And here these men were seeing just the opposite of everything they were teaching. Now, I don't think by any means that they were questioning necessarily the morality or the goodness of Jesus' actions. But I think they were, had a problem with the extremity of his claims. And, and here's what I want to say to you this morning. His teaching was superior, his, his position was superior, his holiness was superior, and yet the work he did was good work. Who can object to blind men seeing and lame men walking and, and, and hungry men being fed? And Jesus was doing many good works. And by the way, this morning, let me say this, this world is not going to be our friend because we do good works. Now, I'm 100% for doing good works. I think we ought to. We ought to labor to do good works. As a matter of fact, I have in my planner to go down to the rescue mission in, in Detroit and to check that out. I would love to see us on a regular basis to be able to go down there and invest in the homeless community down there and invest in a rescue mission. I think it would be a wonderful thing. And I was talking with him last week of, of feeding those that are hungry and ministering to those who don't know the gospel. And what an opportunity for our church to do something like that. We could do it and should do it. But make no mistake, because you do good is not going to be the reason this world walks up and wraps their arms around you. Because there is an exclusivity to our claim. As we are not saying that Jesus is a way, but he is the way. 
Jesus was not claiming to be a teacher. He was claiming to be the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who had authority to command their obedience, and they weren't putting up with it. So it was not the morality of what he was doing, but rather it was the exclusivity of his claim that was a problem. And so his teaching is superior. He rebuked what they endorsed. He threatened their credibility. He hindered their gain. So I want you to see first off the question of outrage. We'll look at these three parts of this text here. And he says in verse number 28, he said, By what authority doest thou these things? Who gave thee this authority to do these things? And, and literally, they're asking the question, by what authority do you keep on doing these things? In other words, you, you become a burr in our saddle and you won't stop. You keep doing these things. You heal lame men on the Sabbath day. Uh, you, you open blinded eyes. You've touched a leopard. That should make you unclean, and yet he's healed, so I don't know what we do. And they're just bothered by the way he comes in, and he commands authority outside of their realm. And he says, and you keep on doing these things. He said they were asking about his position and who put him in that said position. Who put you in this position? Who ordained you to do this work? They would not recognize his authority and feared losing their own. But the more he taught, the less the people looked to them, and the more they looked to him. You say this morning that authority comes from God, but position can come from a lot of different places. How many of you known somebody that had a position but no authority? And we can hold a position, but there's no influence. Here, this Jesus comes, though he had no traditional position according to their standards. He had the authority that these men did not have. So Jesus hears their question, and, and wisely he turns this whole thing. Now, this is not just a turn of phrase to try to entrap these men. This is not just a political meandering to get them off his trail. But he's making a theological point that he wants to drive home to them when he asks the question. Look what he said, and Jesus said unto them, verse number 29, I will also ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or men? Answer me. Where did John's baptism come from, he puts to them. Was John's baptism heaven or men? The people testified that John was from heaven. And John had testified that Jesus was the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And, and here these men are wrestling with this question in their mind. How do we address this? What are we supposed to do? And, and they're caught in their own trap. They're stuck in the middle of this. And, and I think Jesus is looking at them saying, here's the question I really have for you. Does God empower men outside of your organization and delegation? Does God use somebody outside of your plan? Or are you the only source of truth? And these men thought they were. And by the way, this morning, let's make something very clear. Let us not get so party-minded and sectarian-minded that we think that God doesn't use people who aren't like us. The gospel of Jesus Christ around the world and in different modes and people are doing service in different ways and the gospel of Jesus Christ goes forward. We're not the source of truth. We're simply the recipients of truth. And here Jesus comes to them and confronts them does authority come from heaven or from you men? That's ultimately what he's saying to these men. Hey, do you got, are you guys the only source to hand out authority? Or do you suppose maybe authority could come from some other place than you? And these men are caught flat-footed. They ask the question in their mind and they, they, they I kind of just picture, you know, them getting off to the side and we got to have a little powwow over here. And 
And you know, just in my mind, it popped in right now. You know, there's been a flag thrown on the field, and the referees gather at center field and start talking, right? Uh-oh, flag on the play. What are we going to do now? And they're, they're conferring with one another. What do we do about this? If we save from heaven, he's going to say, why did you not believe him? Why would you ignore who he is? If you say that John's baptism is from heaven, then why don't you believe him? But if we say from man, then the people are going to stone us to death. Because the people think of him as a prophet. And John's the one that said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And we're scared to death of what the people will do if we discredit John, but we can't claim John because if we claim John, we've got to claim Jesus, and then we'd have to be his disciple. The leaders, John's been dead for almost three years, and the leaders are still afraid of John's authority. John's been dead and gone, and yet the truth of what John preached still scared these men to death. They didn't want to be Jesus' disciples. They didn't want to be anything like Jesus' disciples. You remember the account of John in John chapter number 9 when the blind man was healed. The blind man stands before the the synagogue, and the rulers of the synagogue question him, and they said, hey, tell us, this man was a sinner, wasn't he? And the blind man said, look, if he was a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. And they said, well, tell us again what happened. And he goes, look, I've told you already what would happen. Why would you hear it again? Would you want to be his disciple? And man, did they get indignant with the man. We are Moses' disciples. You're his disciples. You get out of here and don't come back anymore. And they kick him out of the synagogue. They have won nothing to do with being Jesus' disciples. And yet Jesus has them in this moment where they're stuck. They can't do one thing or the other. They're stuck in the middle. So whose authority did John's baptism come from? If it came from God, why didn't you believe them? If it came from men, the people are going to stone you for denying him. And so what do they do? They fake ignorance. They respond in verse, uh, verse number 31, I believe it was. They reason to themselves, if we say from heaven, why, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of men, they feared the people, for all men counted John, that he was a prophet indeed. They answered and said unto Jesus, we cannot tell. And Jesus answered and said unto them, neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. I think it's interesting. We can't tell. Um, well, you know, we've thought about it, and um, we don't know where John's baptism came from. We're not sure. They refused to commit to what they thought about John's baptism. Now, these men did not believe it came from God, but they didn't want to admit it didn't come from God. They wouldn't stand on it. Isn't it interesting? When you stand on truth, you can stand. And here these men refused to stand on the truth. He said, we don't know. And, and I just kind of picture, uh, you know, kind of like what happens in all of our homes when something gets left out or something's made a mess. Hey, who did this? I mean, there's got to be a fairy living in our house somewhere. Because, you know, you say, hey, who left this out? I don't know. I didn't do it. Wasn't me. I didn't do it. Somebody's got to be moving around in our house. It actually makes me a little nervous because I know none of, nobody in my house would obfuscate on anything, right? They would all just be completely honest. You, you know what I'm talking about. It's just this caught. I kind of picture these guys standing here like a little five-year-old boy who's gotten caught with his hand in the cookie jar. He's got chocolate all over his face, and it's on his hands. And they said, hey, did you eat the cookies? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And they're just backing away and ignoring the, the question because they don't want to come face to face with it. And the reality is it wasn't that they, wouldn't, they, they couldn't tell. It's that they wouldn't tell. They wouldn't admit that they had come to a conclusion that there is, there's no room for negotiation here. Either he is Christ 
or he is of man. And they are, they are forced into that moment. And, of course, Jesus' wise response. Jesus looks at them and he said, neither will I tell you. Ultimately, he's saying, if you won't believe me, if I told you. In other words, you've ignored all the evidence up to this point. You've walked away from it, and so I'm not going to give you words to hang me on. It's not time yet. Now, we're going to come to the place where Jesus gives them more than enough evidence of who he is. And he declares it very clearly at the end of this book. But in this moment, he said, I'm not going to tell you either. You know, I think of this, and I wonder in application this morning, how often do I question his authority? How often do we question his authority? By what authority do you do these things? By what authority are you, are you leading? Does Christ have a right to expect obedience? You know, I, I don't think we always deny his authority outright. I mean, if somebody gave you a test this morning and you had to, to fill in the blank, is God in control? I think you would check the right answer. Is Christ in authority? I think we would check the right answer. I don't think we'd have a problem. I think we'd all pass with flying colors this morning of who is in authority. But I think we do, in practice, ignore his authority. And I think we do so for the same reason that these in the text did. We refuse to admit our inadequacies are without Christ. They didn't want to acknowledge they needed anybody else. They didn't want to acknowledge they needed something more holy than they were. They didn't want to acknowledge that anybody else needed to come in and teach them anything. We fear losing our credibility. Yeah, you know, Pastor, I mean, I, I would sell out for Christ and I would acknowledge his authority and I would let him have rule, but what would my friends think? I mean, they'd think I was crazy. I mean, if I really started, you know, being a witness and being salt and being light in the world around me, what would people think? They'd think I'd gone off my rocker if I really became a Christian. We fear losing our credibility. What would people think? Reminded of the story of the little, little boy who was tucked in bed at night and his dad came in because he was crying and he said, son, what's the matter? And he goes, I'm afraid. I'm afraid there's something in my room. And he said, son, there's nothing in the room. And he said, dad, can you just leave the light on? Nobody, you need to go to sleep. I'm going to turn the light off. Now God's in here with you. You're going to be fine. And he covered him up. The dad walks out the door and shuts the door behind him and the little boy's laying there with the covers pulled up around him and he said, God, I know you're in here, but whatever you do, don't move because you'll scare me to death. And I think a lot of times that's exactly how the church responds. God, I know you're in here and I know you're in control, but whatever you do, don't change anything in me, you'll scare me to death. Don't take authority over anything. You'll scare me to death. You'll scare everybody to death. If God gets involved, I think we, have, we fear losing our security, our wealth, or potential of these. And so we look at him and we say, by what authority do you ask for my generosity? By what authority do you ask for me to get involved in missions and going on missions trips or doing missions work or giving to missions offerings? By what authority do you ask for my time? I mean, God, I mean, really, I mean, by what authority are you demanding these things? Would you want me to be a witness? By what authority do you ask for my effort and my sacrifice? By what authority do you ask me to give up my addictions and to practice sobriety and to walk in, in holiness? By what authority do you ask for my sexual purity? I mean, who is God anyway to tell me what I can and can't do? And if I had a nickel for every time that people say something like this to me, well, I know what the Bible says, but God wants me to be happy. 
And let me say this, that is nothing more than stepping around the authority of God to get what you want. It is nothing more than denying his authority outright while keeping Christian language wrapped around it. God has the authority to tell us what right and wrong is. And when we ignore his authority, we are no better off than these scribes and these leaders that came to Jesus and are challenging him. By what authority do you cleanse the temple? Because are we not the temple of God this morning? And so when God comes in and begins to throw over the money tables in my heart and he begins to cast out the buyers and sellers in my heart and he begins to do the cleansing in me and what I want to do is walk up to him and say, hey, by what authority are you doing this? And I think he, we would point to the book of Corinthians where he says you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your bodies which are his. I've said it a dozen times, I'll say it again. This life is not our lives to do as, with, as we please. We belong to him, we are his. He has the authority to command our obedience. He has the authority to command our purity. He has the authority to, uh, to command our submission to him. By what authority does he ask for my worship and devotion? By what authority do you ask for my risk? By what authority are you asking for complete surrender, not just a token contribution? God wants his people all in. This morning, I think so often we stand on the edge of the pool and we wade into the area of surrender but we're never willing to jump into the deep end and say God here I am I'm all yours what do you want so in conclusion this morning God is looking for a people to humbly acknowledge that our personal that that our personal lack with full sincerity of acknowledging that we are not enough without him that we are not enough, period. That it's not about our system and our programs and our abilities. Those things are all lacking. That we need his authority. And what was wrong with the Temple Mount is the Temple Mount had put God outside of it. They were telling God to leave the Temple Mount. And the, everything that temple was supposed to be pointing to was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And yet he was the one they were running out. I think so often we do that in our heart. And if we're not careful, we do it in our churches. We next, we need to acknowledge our dependency on God, who can do the impossible. You know, those who questioned his authority were upset with his teaching, with his triumphant entry, his cleansing. We as people must submit to the truth that his instruction is superior. So let's listen to it. Let's have our ears tuned in to what his word says on Monday morning as well as on Sunday morning. Having our, uh, his position also is superior. His jurisdiction is over us and we should submit. When he cleanses the temple, he claimed a higher jurisdiction than the temple police, the temple authorities. He said, we, you say you're in charge, but let me tell you something, I have a higher jurisdiction. And we might say, well, this is my life, this is my body. And Jesus says, and I claim a higher jurisdiction than what you have. His holiness is superior. So let us surrender to it, yield to it. See, God is not asking for part of us. He's asking for all of us. I could not source this story, and so I'll tell you that at least legend and handed down has this story recorded. And I did try to source the story, but couldn't find the original source. But it is rumored that when General MacArthur was there at the signing of treaty between Japan and the Allied forces, that when they gathered together to sign the treaty, 
that one of the officials reached a hand to shake General MacArthur's hand. And when the hand was extended, he refused the hand. He said, no, sir, we can't shake hands. You haven't surrendered your sword yet. And the point being is, I think often what we want to do is we want to extend a hand of friendship to the Lord Jesus Christ while we keep our sword and we keep our authority. But if we're not surrendering our sword, we can never be friends. It's never going to be a reunion until we understand he's conquered, that we have been defeated, he has won the victory, and we surrender all authority and we say the authority is not ours, but yours is the authority. And we place it in his hands. You know, these apostles, in just the next few verses, are going to appear very weak men. They're going to run and hide. They're going to be scared. They're going to abandon the Lord. They're going to deny him outright. One will even betray him. But then 40 days later, 40 days later, the Spirit of God comes upon these men. And what does Jesus say? All authority, all power, that word power, authority, is given to me in heaven and earth. Now go ye into all the world in that power and in that authority. And when those men went in that authority, they turned the world upside down. What would have happened if we took our authority, we laid it at his feet, and we said, you're in control. And let him be the one who has the authority. You see, Jesus' question to these men was not in effect where John's authority comes from, but ultimately I think it was looking at them and saying, where does your authority come from? So I would ask that question of us this morning. When we do what we do, whose authority do we do it in? When we live this week, whose authority are we living it in? And can we really say that the actions that have filled our weeks were done on his behalf and under his authority? Or have we done so in rebellion to his authority? So I challenge us this morning to surrender. Jesus, he put it this way. Except you lose your life, lay it down, and take up your cross, and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, that's not my words. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He has all authority. By what authority does he have? He made you, and he bought you. We belong to him. Now let's surrender to him this you bow your heads with me this morning? Fathers, we consider who you are and the authority that you have to command our obedience. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would do a work in my heart this morning. Father, I pray that you would give me a heart to surrender to your authority, laying down my sword, then extending my hand saying, Father, I'm yours. I pray there be one here under the sound of my voice that has never come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Father, they would settle it in their heart today. Father, I pray there be a believer this morning that has walked in rebellion this morning. Father, they would come to the ample grace and forgiveness that you offer. Find forgiveness. We'll praise you for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives. In the precious name of Jesus.